leprosy. In Old Testament times, it was a disease with no cure. Those that were so afflicted with leprosy would be called the living dead. And those poor, unfortunate people that contracted leprosy, according to Leviticus 13, verses 45 and 46, must wear torn clothes. That would be a sign for people to stay away. They couldn't comb or fix their hair. Their hair had to be unkempt. They would cover the lower part of their face. Again, another sign that stay away from this person. They're unclean. And then to remove all doubt, if someone got too close, they had to cry out, unclean, unclean. And then they had to live alone outside the camp of Israel. Ultimately, when they took the promised land and had cities to live in, they were to remain outside the city gates or walls outside the city. Jewish rabbis, by the time of Jesus in the New Testament times, the Jewish rabbis said, don't salute a leper, meaning don't greet them, don't say hello to them, don't, don't talk to them. Don't ever touch a leper, because if you did, you would become unclean. And for whatever reason, the rabbis said that the, a leper's bed was to be low inclining towards the ground. I'm not sure about the reasoning for that. But if a leper even stuck his head in through the window or through the doorway into a place, the Jewish rabbi said the whole place became unclean. Obviously, whatever a leper touched became unclean. They also said you had to keep a distance of at least six feet from a leper. That sounds eerily familiar. (laughs) The rabbis taught that if the wind came from a leper's direction, that a hundred feet was scarcely sufficient not to be affected by them. A rabbi by the name of Mir, Rabbi Mir, would not eat an egg purchased from the street where a leper had lived. Some rabbis would throw stones at them to keep them far off. And the rabbis prohibited a leper from even washing their face. That was the treatment given to to lepers in the time of Jesus. Anyone here want to live that way? In Luke chapter 5, as we've been studying the life of the greatest man that ever lived, obviously the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus meets a leper. So in Luke 5, beginning in verse 12, it says, It came about that while he was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And he stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded for a testimony to them. But the news about him was spreading even farther, and great multitudes were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But he himself would often slip away to the wilderness 
and pray. So notice here, this leper comes to Jesus. And where is Jesus? He's in one of their cities. Which tells us what? Leper wasn't supposed to be there. He was to stay outside the city, but Jesus is in the city. Evidently, the man in some way had heard of Jesus and heard of what this man does, that he had healed multitudes of people, and he came into the city and approached Jesus. And when he saw Jesus, he falls on his knees and, and, and there, and he just begs to be healed. Now, what does that say about the impression that Jesus had upon people? Favorable impression, obviously. But this leper, if Jesus had been a regular rabbi, this leper would have fled from him. Probably thinking he's going to have rocks and stones thrown at him. Great attention brought to him. Get away, get away. But he approaches Jesus. He comes and humbly begs Jesus for healing. And notice what he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. What an expression of faith in the power of Jesus. He believes that Jesus can take care of his hopeless, helpless condition. And he totally surrenders himself to what Jesus could do. This account is also found in Matthew chapter 8 and in Mark chapter 1. And Jesus, according to Mark's account, it says that he was filled with compassion. But filled with compassion, he stretches out his hand, he touched the leper, he was willing, and he said, be cleansed. And immediately the leper was cured, completely cured of his leprosy. Verse 13 in our text said, immediately the leprosy left him. Now what visible signs of leprosy might a person see on a leper? Well, depending on how severe a case of leprosy they had, they could see sores on their body, they could see skin broken open, they could see blood on their body that maybe hadn't been completely washed off. Uh, they could have seen, uh, in severe cases, the loss of fingers or toes and things of that nature in severe cases. So I wonder, because in Matthew's account, it says Jesus had come down from the mountain and great multitudes were following him when this leper approaches him in the midst of a multitude of people. Again, he shouldn't have been there. I wonder what the people saw when the leprosy immediately left the man. Did they see the skin become completely healed and cleansed? And I can't imagine what might have been witnessed when immediately the leprosy left him. But Jesus commanded him not to tell anyone but to go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded for a testimony to them. So in other words, make sure that you obey the law of Moses, as it was taught in Leviticus chapter 14, throughout that chapter, how to be cleansed from leprosy. But notice the leper's actions and the effect that it had, because if you look at Mark's account, 
Mark says that the leper went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news about. He didn't do what Jesus asked him to do. Jesus said, don't tell anybody. Well, he told everybody, okay? To such an extent, Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere. Because of this leper's testimony, that's what Jesus had to do. What is the normal desire in a person when they are told, now don't tell anybody. What is, what's the normal desire for that person to do? To tell someone, I got a secret. But I can't tell you. Okay, I'll tell you, but don't you tell anybody else. Sometimes I wonder if, if we wouldn't be more effective in, in spreading the gospel if Jesus had told us all, don't tell anybody. I, would we have told, would we tell a lot of people? Maybe so. But Jesus told us to tell everybody, and then sometimes we don't tell anybody at all. But that's what happened with this man. He went out and he told everybody. Spread the news far and wide to the extent Jesus couldn't enter a town. He would stay out in unpopulated areas just because of the multitudes of people that came to him from everywhere. Max Lucado in his book, Just Like Jesus, uh, has a chapter in this book entitled The Touch of God. And it's interesting how he envisions things for this leper. And I want to read you just a section of what Lucado writes here. From the viewpoint of the leper. For five years, no one touched me. No one. Not one person. Not my wife. Not my child. Not my friends. No one touched me. They saw me, spoke to me from a distance. I sensed love in their voices. I saw concern in their eyes, but I didn't feel their touch. There was no touch. Not once, no one touched me. What is common to you, I coveted. Handshakes, a warm embrace, a tap on the shoulder to get my attention, a kiss on the lips to steal a heart. Such moments were taken from my world. No one touched me. No one bumped into me. What I would have given to have been bumped into, to be caught in a crowd for my shoulder to brush against another's, but for five years it hadn't happened. How could it? I was not allowed on the streets. Even the rabbis kept their distance from me. I was not permitted in my synagogue, not even welcome in my own house. I was untouchable. I was a leper, and no one touched me until today. He goes on and he says, Five years ago, my wife had stepped toward me. She was the last to do so. Now he did. I didn't move. I just spoke. Lord, you can heal me if you will. Had he healed me with a word, I would have been thrilled. Had he cured me with a prayer, I would have rejoiced, but... He wasn't satisfied with speaking to me. He drew near me. He touched me. Five years ago, my wife had touched me. No one had touched me since, until today. I will. His words were as tender as his touch. Be healed. Energy flooded my body like water through a furrowed field. In an instant, in a moment, I felt warmth where there had been numbness. 
I felt strength where there had been atrophy. My back straightened and my head lifted. Where I'd been eye level with his belt, I now stood eye level with his face, his smiling face. He cupped his hands on my cheeks and drew me so near I could feel the warmth of his breath and see the wetness in his eyes. Don't tell anyone about this, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded for people that are made well. This will show the people what I've done. And so that's where I'm going. I'll show myself to my priest and embrace him. I will show myself to my wife and I will embrace her. I will pick up my daughter and I will embrace her. And I will never forget the one who dared to touch me. He could have healed me with a word, but he wanted to do more than heal me. He wanted to honor me, to validate me, to christen me. Imagine that, unworthy of the touch of a man, yet worthy of the touch of God. I like the way that Lucato tries to envision the viewpoint of the leper. You see, Jesus can cleanse a leper. Nothing's impossible for God. But he can do even more than that. Because Jesus can also cleanse a sinner. And so in the very next account in verses 17 through 26, Jesus cleanses a sinner. It came about one day that he was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there that had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. And behold, some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were trying to bring him in and to set him down in front of him, and not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles with his stretcher right in the center in front of Jesus. And seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. The scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins have been forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise and take up your stretcher and go home. And at once he rose up before them and took up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And they were all seized with astonishment and began glorifying God. And they were filled with fear, saying, we've seen remarkable things today. Well, just as the rabbis had no power to cure the living death of leprosy, so they stood powerless and speechless in the matter of the forgiveness of sins. Andy preached on this text not long ago and did a good job with it. But I want you to go back and try to visualize the scene one more time. Try to put yourself inside the house where Jesus is teaching. You're listening to a sermon of the world's greatest preacher inside this house and dirt and dust and debris begin to fall from the ceiling as a hole appears above. And that hole gets bigger and bigger as chunks of dirt and mud and grass and straw fall down to the floor there. 
faces finally appear above. And as the hole gets large enough, a pallet or a stretcher is slowly let down out of the hole with a man lying on it. Jesus interrupts his preaching. The crowd around him is dead silent, breathless. On that pallet lay a paralyzed man, his face and his eyes maybe glistening with tears, looking with hope towards Jesus. The friends of this man that had brought him felt the precious the preciousness of an opportunity. They knew what real need was and they wouldn't be denied. They would do whatever it took to get their friend in front of Jesus. And since they couldn't get in through the door because of the crowd, they took more drastic steps. It must have been a marvelous sight. The energy, the determination, the faith exceeded anything that had been witnessed before. Jesus saw it, and he, and he spoke. No one else was speaking, at least not yet. The silence of expectancy had fallen on all of them. Could he? And if he could, would he heal this man? And what would he do if he did help him? Now you need to remember that most rabbis and most Jewish people believe that diseases or handicaps of this sort were God's punishment on you because you had sinned or possibly your parents had sinned. There's another account in the Gospels where the disciples, they see a man that's handicapped in some way and they ask Jesus, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents? That was just the common Jewish belief that somebody had to sin for someone to be in this condition. And they also believe that recovery or healing would not be granted to that person unless their sins had first been forgiven them. So this paralyzed man is hopeful, but he might have been thinking at the same time, he probably won't heal me. I'm too sinful. But in tender kindness, Jesus said, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, the man and his friends and probably everybody there present are hoping to hear Jesus say, Son, you're healed. You're healed. But instead, he says, I forgive you. They expect him to treat the body because that's what they see. Jesus chooses to treat not only the body, but also the soul, for that's what he sees. They want Jesus to give the man a new body so he can walk. Jesus gives him grace so that he can live. It's remarkable. Sometimes God is so touched by what he sees that he gives us what we need rather than what we ask for. And we better thank God that he does that. Because who among us would ever have thought to ask God for what he's given us? Really, I mean, which of us would have dared to have said, God, would you please hang yourself on an instrument of torture as a substitution for every mistake and sin that I have ever, ever made and committed? 
and then have the audacity to add, and after you forgive me, could you prepare a place for me in your house to live forever? And if that weren't enough, and would you please live within me, inside me, and protect me, and guide me, and bless me with more than I could ever deserve? Would any of us have asked the Lord for those things? I think not. Instead, I think we'd ask for little things, like a long life, and a healthy body, and a good job. Things that are grand requests from our perspective, but from God's perspective, it's like riding a bicycle when he's offered us a limousine. So Jesus says, friend, your sins are forgiven you, because that's the greatest need. Well, the scribes and the Pharisees begin to grumble and say, who is this man that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins except God alone? I wonder what they would have done if Jesus would have said, you know, you're right. No one can forgive sins except God alone. And you're looking at him. I am God. What would they have done? Maybe lynched him on the spot, if possible. But he didn't say that. He could have, but he didn't. Instead, he asked one of his greatest questions in verse 23. He asked, which is easier, to say your sins have been forgiven you or to say rise and walk? Now you answer that question. Mold over for a minute and answer that. I mean, which was easier for Jesus to say? Your sins are forgiven you or rise up and walk? Well, some people think it was probably easier for Jesus to say, your sins are forgiven. That it was easier to forgive a soul than to heal a body. Now, the reason they say that is because they think, you can't see the evidence. I mean, if Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, and then turned to the crowd and said, okay, they're forgiven now, how would the crowd know? There's no physical evidence. There's nothing for them to see. So it's easy for Jesus to say that because there's no evidence to prove him wrong. But if he says, be healed, well, they would know right away if it happened or not. So there are those that say to forgive a soul, to say your sins are forgiven, was easier because it didn't require physical evidence. But ask the question this way, which caused Jesus less pain? Providing this man with health or providing this man with heaven? To heal the man's body took a simple command. To forgive this man's sins took Jesus' blood. The first was done in the house of friends. The second on a hill with thieves. One took a word. The other took his body. One took a moment. The other took his life. You tell me which was easier. 
But so strong is his love for this crew of faith that he went beyond their appeal and he went straight to the cross. Jesus knew the cost of grace. He knew the price of forgiveness. But he offered it anyway. And he hadn't changed. What happened on that day can still happen on this day. Because you see, Jesus can cleanse a sinner, and he can cleanse a leper. He can do anything. So the question today for you is, what kind of cleansing do you need? What do you need the Lord to do in your life? What would you ask him for? Would you ask him for what you want, or would you ask him for what you need? The problem sometimes is that we don't even realize what we need. We focus too much on what we want. So what, what kind of healing do you need today? What type of cleansing do you need today? Don't be afraid to come to Jesus. These four friends, I, we say four because we think of four of them on each corner of the pallet to carry him. But these friends of this man, they would not be denied. They did everything in their power to bring their friend to Jesus. They didn't let a crowd stop them. They went on a roof and tore through. Wow. What would keep you from Jesus today? A crowd of people? Because you don't like to be in front of people? Not a very good reason to keep you from coming to the Lord. Sitting in the middle of the row and you don't want to walk over people? They'll move. Pride? Thinking that you're not worthy? I've done too much wrong in my life. Don't let anything keep you from coming to Jesus. Nothing. He's the only one that can provide you with what you really need. And you don't wait until you've cleaned up your life. You bring your messy life to the Messiah. He's the one that can cleanse you. He'll take you just as you are but he won't leave you that way through repentance and through his spirit that fills you you will begin to conform to the image of God's son and become more and more like him from glory to glory he's changing us and you'll become what he wants you to be but you have to be the one that comes and you come just as you are and that's the message we're going to stand and sing